0: On this episode of the Advanced Foundations Podcast, Free Indeed is a journey to wholeness and healing as you walk in the victory of all Christ paid for at the cross. How do you see God? The enemy does everything possible to try to pervert the way you see the Father. You may be able to receive Jesus, and you see Him as the suffering on the cross for our sin and receiving Him. But boy, I tell you, the enemy does everything possible to really mess up the way we see the father. Uh, there's a, this is from Jimmy Evans' book, "That uh, Freedom From Your Past. We said there's a direct parallel between how we viewed our parents, especially our other earthly fathers, and how we view God. Now, because the enemy won't do everything possible unless they have turned the page. I've written down notes in my little deal here. and I was going to say, how many of you had abusive, angry, or absent fathers? Let me ask you this way. How many people here had perfect fathers? Oh, nobody? That's shocking. No, the truth is, is that no, some of you have had horrible fathers. But the reality is, is that the enemy knows that because he knows that the father is a picture of heavenly father. So if we're going to grow and receive his love, the enemy is going to do everything possible to pervert the way we see our heavenly father. So he works on causing the father, who should be the image, not God, but an image bearer of God, if he can cause that father to be messed up, to cause abuse or to cause what he should be a protector, but ultimately he ends up being something worse. I mean, then not I go and say, well, what you need, you need to receive the love of the father. People flinch. And that's what happens in so much of, the, of our world today. The enemy has done such a number on the fathers that it's hard for us to really grow because we have a distorted image of father. And we have a hard time really believing that he loves us and he forgives us and, he, and that he, he's, he, you know, he's not angry with us. Look at this chart. The behavior of your parent. Legalistic or harsh, disciplinarian, you'll think that God is mad. He's demanding it, impersonal. parent might have been perfectionist, high standards, little praise, where you'll think God's never satisfied, disappointed in me. Little or no affection, God's impersonal, distant. Critical, verbally abusive, God is angry, doesn't really love people. Maybe your parent and father were was a workaholic, focused outside the home. God is attached, not very important to him. Could have been abusive or dominating. God rules by fear, can't really be trusted. Moody, temperamental. God's unpredictable. Sinful, poor, disciplined, bad behavior. God is a pushover. Maybe it's doting and spoiling. God is just for me and my desires. Compared to his siblings and other children, showed favoritism. Well, God has favorites. Made promises and broke them. God's unreliable hypocritical, God isn't relevant or powerful. Now, we could spend the rest of our time going through lists of all the various things that, that fathers probably did or parents didn't do. And the the result of that is our projection onto our Heavenly Father. So that's not the point. Uh, I, I thought I said I grew up in a home that was a um, Christian home, but I don't ever recall uh, sitting in my father's lap. Don't ever recall him hugging me. I don't ever recall... Uh, anything really no close. I mean, I felt he loved me, I guess, but there was not any show of that. Um, You realize that that affects you. Uh, But looking back at my father uh, and his story is, is that when he was 12 years old, he was born in um, 14, 14, 1914. He was in, he was 12 or 13 years old when his older brother got he had some kind of an ear infection, and it ended up over about a six-month period of time, he died. And the trauma of that affected my grandparents, his parents, and affected the entire family. They basically couldn't handle it. They just sort of checked out. So it, my father 13, 14 years old, uh, ends up with my, his brother's car, and is basically sort of responsible for raising his younger sister. Um, not long after that, they go through the Depression. Lived through the Depression. Uh, he ended up going to college, which is amazing that uh, he would have and did. And his roommate in college, they were going to uh, start feedlots. They, they went to Texas Tech, and they were going to start feedlots out in the Panhandle. And the day of graduation, his roommate was killed in a plane crash. Had his own plane. They were shoot, shooting coyotes out the window. That's what they were doing. A little old plane tipped the sand dune, killed him and his father. So the day of graduation, my father, is not only his plan and future of where he was going was, was annihilated completely. Uh, so uh, the rest of the family uh, didn't know him and didn't care. They just wanted whatever money and stuff and divide that. And, and he had no future other than he didn't know what to do. He ends up coming to Frisco, Texas, and he becomes an ag teacher in high school, meets my mother. They ultimately get married, move back to the farm, Pearl Harbor. So now he's drafted. So he's immediately ushered off to the military. Um, so before he's shipped overseas, uh, they were she was moved up to Kentucky where he was stationed, um, got pregnant. So he goes off overseas, knowing that they're expecting their first child. Uh, so they write letters back and forth again. Didn't have didn't have internet. You know, no high-speed internet, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. Uh, the, and my mother carried the child full term, and then when it was born, it died. So the communication was not good. So my father's writing letters to his new child, and she's writing letters to tell him what's happened, but it was like six months, you know, in the delay. So when you factor in all that stuff, and my father, like I said at the first, you can't give away what you don't have. It's like, whoa, No wonder. Um, he didn't have the affection and the love to give. He was a good father, and he was present. But it, as far as a touchy-feely kind of stuff, it just wasn't there. I mean, it, it, it all the stuff that he had gone through. It's lucky, all the stuff that he went through that he was sane in the first place. Uh, but, I mean, that we're dealing with a lot of that in our lives. Our parents and grandparents went through lots of stuff that are very extremely difficult, and we're, we're wanting things from them that they couldn't give. That's my point. So a lot of times we're, we're wanting, our why did my father do this? Why did he abandon me? Why did he abuse me? Why didn't he do this? And why didn't he do that? Hurting people hurt people. That's no excuse. You no, know, it's not an excuse for bad behavior, but it's reality. It's just what happens. And so what has to happen is, is that, you know, you've got to get really honest with how do you really see God? You really see him as a loving father, really loves you, or do you see him as somewhat distant or abusive or angry? Because that is, and why I keep saying this, because this is such a a foundational issue. Because if this is, if there's a disconnect there, then everything else, it's hard to really continue to grow. And you can believe in Jesus and you can, but I mean, understanding his love is profound, and it establishes you really for you know for life forever. So, how do you see God? How do you see Father God? Because He is a loving Father, and more than likely, you don't see Him in the fullness of who He really is because we do have our own projections onto our heavenly Father. So, how do you get the right, um, the correct view of God? Well, you have to look at Jesus. Look at the next page there. John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, have you been with me so long yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Can you imagine how profound that was? When Jesus is talking to them, they go, <clears throat> he said, if you, th- you know, it's sufficient, you've seen the Father. And they say, well, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Can you imagine those disciples going, what? Because, because, again, understanding the Bible, and they couldn't see God. Moses had an encounter of the burning bush, but he said, take off your sandals, this is holy ground, but you can't see God and live. Moses said, I'm not going to go unless I see your glory. He said, well, you can't see me, but I'll let my goodness pass before you. So we get a glimpse of him. But the reality is you can't, so, so they knew you can't see God. So God's desire all the way from the very beginning was to to tabernacle with us. That's why the the tabernacle in the wilderness, the temple, he made a way so God's presence could be with his people. He's pursued us all the way from the garden. So that wasn't even enough. So he put on flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory of that of the only begotten son. Isn't that amazing? So what, what what, what he said here, he goes, Philip. You see me, you've seen the Father. That's profound. So for us to get the proper perspective, the proper image of, of God, you've got to go back and read the Gospels, look and see, and see Jesus from a different light than just, okay, He came to save us, He came to heal, deliver us. But He is the exact representation of Father God. We can't see Him but we could see him now through Jesus, more perfect way. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 said, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So it's about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. So his point, my point here is, is that you got to go back and when you read the gospels, you have got to realize that you're not just reading something about a disconnected Jesus. He is God. So you, when you see what he did and how he did things, you know, you're going, oh, wow. You want to know what, the, what is the will of God? That's the will of God. The story here, which we don't have time to read, it's John 8, 1 through 12. It's the woman caught in adultery. But I encourage you to read that because it's a, it's a beautiful story of how God sees us. And it was a beautiful story of how he saw her. And uh, there was no condemnation at all. Turn the page to the next story I do want to read, Luke 15. This is uh, the story of the what we call the prodigal son. He said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, okay, point right there. You do realize that when we read parables in the scripture, these are not, real stories. So Jesus is using these stories to make a point. Usually they're like over the top. And so this is one of those over the top stories. No father would divide up his inheritance to his sons and give it to them and let them do whatever they wanted to do with it. Okay. So that's the first thing. And if you take note here, he had two sons and he divided to both of them, his inheritance, the younger son, After many days, a younger son gathered all together. He journeyed to a far country and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, let me point out something else. If this were a true story, for a son to take his inheritance and to leave his father and his father's country and to go over to a whole nother country, (laughs) first thing is, that wouldn't happen. Uh, The father would probably kill him. Uh, But the second thing is, is that what he's saying is, he's saying, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with your people. I don't want anything to do with your religion. I don't, I'm separating myself absolutely, completely from any connection to you. You you understand? That's that's what he's saying here. They understood in that culture, this ain't happening. If it did, it's a major, major disconnect. And he's leaving. So he says, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. He began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Well, he would have gladly had filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, you understand that that's the orphan thinking. I mean, that's how he's thinking. And it's how many times we think. You know, I've messed up so bad that I can't come to Father. I've, I, I've just messed up so bad. When the Bible says we can come boldly to the throne of grace, receive grace and mercy in time of need. See, I don't. I can't come boldly because I get my act together. I come boldly because Jesus has already paid the price. See, I don't. I don't go because I did something good. I go because He did something good. I mean, this is huge. So, as an orphan, this guy's. He's going, and I'm just going to have to come. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to come and just be a hired servant. That's all there is. That's all that's left for me. So he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, the father saw him. Isn't that interesting? Now, how did he see him? See, because he was looking for him. More than likely, he'd been praying for him. And we'll see here in a minute. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was. You understand? That's our father. This, this story is not about prodigal son. This story is about father. This story is about how good father is. Father knew what he was doing, knew where he was, and was watching for him to come home he let him go on off and that's what God will with us too if we want to if we want to just wander off well you know but he's he he's looking he's waiting probably this father's probably praying for him he said he had compassion on him and isn't that amazing he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him do you understand how profound this is The son had taken his possessions, his father's possessions, and he basically spit in his face. So said, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with any of your people or nothing. I'm off. I'm out of here on my own. And the father runs and falls over and starts kissing him. <laughs> I can tell you right now, most of us don't see Father God that way. We don't. We, we just go, hmm. I think he loves me. Sort of, maybe, you know. But the reality is we really don't believe that. That's why he tells this. He's trying to reveal his nature. He fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatty calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead, he's alive. Again, and he was lost and he's found. They begin to be merry. Yeah, I'm just picture I try to get into these stories myself. Can you imagine? I'm the son. I I am so nervous about coming home in the first place, but I but there's nothing else I can do. I've lost everything. I'm literally gotta be nearly starving. There's no place else to go. I, I'm crawling back to my father and saying, please just let me be one of your servants. Your servants eat better than, than where I've been. And the father comes out and embraces him. He kisses on him. And, and he has so got shame all over him. And he's sitting there going, you know, father, I'm sinned against you. i have sinned against heaven. I, make me like one of your servants. And father goes, get a robe, get a ring, get the sandals, get them over here. Go kill a fatty calf, we're gonna have a party. Can you imagine if you're, if you're expecting to get beat you're expecting to you know to get some unbelievable you know like none of our fathers would ever do of course. you dump you know won't say what else would repeat after that <clears throat> but you sorry sucker you know and I mean so he he's ready for that and he hears go get a robe and a ring and sandals? You see, again, in that culture, what he was saying is, he put that robe on, he's in. That ring gives him the ability to do the business of the family. I mean, you know, that, this, is so, this is so out there. That's why it's hard for us to read it without spending some time. Wow. I mean, this is just not, this is, I mean, it wouldn't happen. The reality is. But the reality is, that's how good our father is. So they're having a party. And so, I mean, it's like now the older son was in the field. He came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatty calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. And here again, the father pursues him. See, we keep thinking we're pursuing God. I just want to tell you, God's chasing you. You know, we keep thinking, oh my gosh, if I, could, I messed up. And if I need to do this, I need to do something more. I need to do this. And, you know, and again, that's why he put these stories in here. Because no, no, he is pursuing you. If you'll just stop long enough, he'll catch you. Maybe you should turn around and go the other way. But the point is, he he goes out to his older to the older son, and he answered and said to the father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I've never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours come, came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatty calf for him. Now, again, I put myself in the story. How did they know he's living with harlots? You ever think about that? How did they know that? I mean, don't you ask those kind of questions when you read the Bible? Now, who who told them that? The, the father, I guarantee, he had servants that were monitoring what that son was doing. They knew. He knew what was going on. He loved him. Never gave up on him. That's where our father is. Never gives up on us. He loves us. And here's what he says. Son, isn't that that amazing? He says, son. That's what he calls us, sons, daughters. You are always with me and all that I have is yours. Isn't that amazing? Again, most of us probably don't believe that either. Both of these sons were orphans. One ran off, the other one stayed, but the reality was you know, it was because of his, what he thought he was doing to gain acceptance, and it's not either one of those. It's receiving the love of the Father. So that's why I, I put this story in here because, boy, he loved both sons, but both sons were basically orphans one living right there in the house, and that's just exactly the way we can be. We can be in church, going to church, but I'll tell you something, a lot of times we're still orphans. We sit right in the middle, we sing the songs, we raise our hands, and we pray prayers, we go through all the motion, but the reality is that deep down, we don't really know if God really loves us or not. And God wants us to know, yes, I do love you. And you know, it's not based on your performance, it's based on my performance. That's such a huge huge issue. So, steps to receiving God's love. All freedom begins with receiving truth, believing truth. So, whatever we talk about, whatever prayers we're going to pray, it always begins with, you've got to know what the truth is. you got to know what the, what the Bible says. So, first and foremost, you've got to really know the truth that God loves you. You've got to get the correct image of, of God by reading and saying about Jesus because really you've got to see him and realize that every time you see what Jesus healed somebody or whatever he did, you know, we want to know, well, we're not sure what the will of, of God was. Uh huh. We can read about it because Jesus healed everyone who came to him. He said, well, everybody's not healed. He didn't heal everybody that was sick in all of Israel, but he healed everyone who came to him. So we know, is it the will of the father? Well, sure. I don't see him not healing anybody. So you've got to look at those kinds of things because what you're seeing is that you see in the Father, in flesh, how he dealt with things. We need to receive the spirit of adoption because it's the Holy Spirit that really makes the love of the Father real. You've got to forgive your earthly father for what he did or he didn't do. That That is a huge issue and ask God to release them because they can't, I'm saying, we'll say it again, you can't give what you don't have. And hurting people will hurt people. And a lot of times we've had uh, a lot of hurt and a lot of abuse from earthly fathers. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to, to get mad at and upset with our earth, earthly fathers. The Bible, we'll look at this tomorrow, but the Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood. Uh, that guy we went through Bible study with years ago, they reach over and pinch them, And if they squeal, it's not your problem. It's flesh and blood. Uh, we had a deliverance team in here years ago, and they would tell this story about someone had a surgery, and it was botched really bad. And their person was injured and uh, for a long time. I mean, you know, whatever the surgery was, it didn't work, and they were really messed up. And they really got mad at the scapel and held unforgiveness toward the scapel. You know, and again, you'd laugh, you think, what? Well, nobody's going to get mad at the instrument, right? But we do. See, we get mad at the human instrument that the enemy activates to try to hurt us. Instead of getting mad and understanding that the real enemy is the devil and sin, but we get mad at the people that he activates Was to be like getting mad at the scalpel because the surgery was botched. Let that sink in for a while. See, a lot of times we we get so focused on that. And remember, Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but we do battle against principalities of spiritual wickedness and wickedness in heavenly places and all that kind of stuff. There is a war that's going on in the spirit realm, and the enemy is trying to kill you. And the way he kills you is that he destroys somebody else's life to try to use them to destroy you. So what he gets us to do is to harbor unforgiveness toward them and get all bound up in why they didn't and why they didn't and what they did and what they shouldn't have done and all that kind of stuff, which is true. But the reality is that they're, they're hurting people will hurt people. So I'm not making an excuse. Again, what I'm saying is you've got to recognize that the real enemy is not your father who did or didn't do or should or did something to you. The real enemy is the devil who comes to kill, steal, and to destroy your life. And he does a really good job. He's been doing this for a long time. And so he's been destroying lives, and he uses people to destroy other people's lives. But i tell you, it's not the person. It's the enemy. So we've got to learn how to, to separate and really understand what's going on. Hurting people will hurt people. It's just the way it is a lot of times your parents were so hurt <clears throat> themselves because they didn't have anybody that could pour into their lives and and it just keeps compounding downstream so we got to forgive them you got to forgive yourself you got to forgive yourself for whatever you do and you got to receive perfect love because perfect love casts out fear now just here's a question how much Worry and anxiety and fear do you live in? That's well, a question that you need to think about. what level you know is do you sort of have a is it about a five on a ten scale? Maybe you live with a lot of fear maybe it's seven or eight because perfect love casts out fear. Love and fear cannot cohabitate so wherever on that scale you are you need to understand that wait a minute, I need a revelation of his love, because perfect love casts out fear. So if I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry and a lot of stress and a lot of all those things that are basically fear related issues, the real issue is I need a greater revelation of the love of the Father because that perfect love casts out fear. So I'll let you pray about that. Now this prayer at the bottom of the page there, Ephesians three fourteen through twenty, amazing prayer again. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height, to know the love of Christ with past his knowledge that you may be filled with all the the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, this prayer is that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. Whatever a plant is rooted in, that's what it's going to end up coming up through it and causing growth. So what he's saying is, my prayer is it would be rooted and grounded in love so that the fruit would be love, that we would be able to love one another. Then he prays, I'm gonna pray that not only with all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height of the love of the Father. Now you look at that again, if you look at me, he's praying for the width, and the length, and the depth, and the height. What is that? It's a cross. And he demonstrated his love. He didn't just say, I love you. It's not a feeling. He went to the cross and died for us. So he, his prayer is, is that I'm going to pray that you'd get it. There's no end to the width. There's no end to the length. There's no end to the depth. And there's no end to the height of his love. He's praying that that love, would consume us. That we'd be filled with the fullness of God, fullness of God's love, and that's what He's wanting. Because the more I, I'm receiving His love, the the more I can love. The more I allow His love to hit me, the more I can love others, and that's the expression He really wants here. So, there is one last verse that I want. It's not in the manual, but it is uh, it's in John 17, and then we're going to pray here and we'll take a break. John 17 is the prayer of Jesus. And all of John 17, but the last verse, verse 26, I've declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. not that amazing? So this is Jesus now. Jesus is praying to the Father. You think he can get his prayers answered? Yeah, I think so. I've declared your name and will declare it. And this is the love with which you've loved me. The Father's love to the Son. He's saying that love will be in them, that's us, and I in them. That's amazing. So I want to pray for us. And uh, because this prayer in Ephesians and that prayer in John is not about, um, it's not about having more information. It's really about experiencing his love. It's allowing his love to overwhelm us. So Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you that you've loved us with a love that is everlasting. You've loved us with your love. And I pray in the name of Jesus for every one of us that are here, that are listening, that will see this. I pray that you would help us to receive the fullness of your love. Just ask Him right there. Say, Lord, I want to know your love. I want to experience it deep inside, not just have information. I want to know the width and the length and the depth and the height of your love. I want to know a love that, that Lord, just overwhelms me. Mm. Fill us up. Fill us up with an ongoing revelation of of your love. Wow, Father, we love you. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We just thank you for your amazing love. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this timely message. Pastor Terry and Susan Moore had a life-changing encounter with the Lord in August of 1982. They opened their home to a Bible study, which turned into a church now located in Carrollton, Texas. They have never been the same and hope that you encounter Christ in a real way. For more, connect to jterrymore.org.